Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Our soul's journey is ultimately about awakening to our potential and our authenticity. But that journey is not always easy. According to my guest, Mark Nepo, it's a process that takes place through the labor of a lifetime as we develop into fully realized beings. And his new book, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters, is a powerful guide that can assist us in this transformation. Mark Nepo is a poet and philosopher who has taught in the fields of poetry and spirituality for over 40 years. A number one New York Times bestselling author, he has published 22 books and his work has been translated into 20 languages. Mark has been interviewed several times by Oprah Winfrey and Robin Roberts for Good Morning America. In 2015, he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by Age Nation. He was also chosen as one of OWN's Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts and voices to elevate humanity. In this interview, Mark and I are going to discuss several themes from his book, including the role of courage, inspiration, creativity, and kindness in the evolution and elevation of our souls, and how we can use it to experience the truth, harmony, and depth of life. And if you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hello, Mark. How are you? It's great to be with you. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, I just want to thank you for being on the show. I absolutely love your work. Uh, the Book of Awakening, which I believe you wrote in the early 2000s, that was by my bedside for, for many years. And I just want to thank you so much for creating that gem. Oh, well, thank you so much. As, you know, as all the books are, I say they're, they're great teachers for me. So retrieving them, uh, I, I become their student. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, so today we're going to be uh, discussing some of the themes that you covered in your new book, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And that, again, such a beautifully written book. Mark, I was savoring every single line. Oh, my goodness. And I noticed that just like your previous books, you take readers on, on a journey. So could you share how this book evolves where other books leave off? Well, it's interesting, you know, because over I've been blessed to be prolific uh, because I learned a long time ago that I write about what I need to learn about. It's really an exploration. And 
what I share are examples, not instructions. So, so each book leads me further in this path. And, and uh, looking back, it, they all make a lot of sense. You know, looking forward, I'm just learning what I need to learn. So looking back, you know, you look back uh, 20 years or more to the Book of Awakening. And the next book after that was The Exquisite Risk. Mm-hmm. And um, so once you're awake, I had to learn how to take risks. And the next book after that was my book on inner courage. Well, once I'm awake and I take a risk, I need to learn how to be more courageous. And and then it was 7,000 ways to listen. So looking back, it all makes sense because once you're present and once you take a risk, then we have to listen. And so, you know, and, and all my books just kind of, when I look back, they make all this sense. And I think the Book of Soul, the thing that, there were two things about it that that opened me uh, to its journey. One was a metaphor about birth, which is in the beginning of the book, which gave me a way in. And, and that, you know, we're all here, thankfully, to the, the, the great courage and love of our mothers who physically bring us into the world. And I started to think about that and that once we're here, we go through a second labor, which is the labor of experience. (laughs) And that is how here on earth we birth our soul once we're here. And so that gave me a real way. And, And what the book wound up being was, you know, looking at many of the different lessons that I've been learning through the years, this was a book that allowed me to integrate all of those and look at them and take some of those lessons further. Um, And, you know, the last chapter, as you know, in in the new book, in the Book of Souls, is called The Temple is the World. And I think Mm -hmm. that that was such a, a lesson for me in that you know, all the different ways we gather, whether it's informally here or with loved ones or in a church or a mosque or a synagogue or a sangha or wherever it might be, those are wonderful. And they are incubators so that if we love well, the walls fall down and the temple is the world. It's not in any one place. It's everywhere. And and that was really the big the big learning from this book is to to for me to commit myself even more fully through my teaching to that to having that space that sacred space come alive wherever we are between us. Right, right, and I love the that last chapter that you talked about because it really um, speaks to the importance of community um, because I feel like that is something that's really lost. Um, these days because, you know, no one really meets face to face, like everything is online now, especially with COVID and everything. So I think um, bringing, uh, bringing that into bringing that to the forefront and really expressing the importance of that is I'm, I'm sure that people will really, uh, really resonate with that message. Well, th- thank you. You know, there's a, a, a few books back. There was a book I did that was all f- uh, focused on community called More Together Than Alone. And yeah, I, yeah. And I was, you know, researching um, moments when we uh, when we are are really do well together. 
throughout history and cross culturally. And it it was a, that was an amazing teacher too. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to ask, as you know, I'm a writer myself, and you know, um, I aspire to write like someone like you. I mean, your writings are so beautiful, um, and it's clear that you're a poet at heart. And I'm just curious, what is your creative process like? How do you get all these ideas? Well, you know, this this goes all the way back to, um, you know, uh, this year I I turned seventy. Mm -hmm. which yeah. I thought was really ancient when I was young. It doesn't seem so old right <laughs> now. But when I was in my 30s, as you know from my work, I almost yes. died from a rare form of lymphoma. And Yes, yes, I read that, yeah. Be before that, like all artists, and in, in whatever the form, you know, I was taught uh, by other writers and in school and in program, you know, be on the look for good material, you know. and but But almost dying gave me the lens of the miraculous that everything there isn't any i could write about a fly on the window it doesn't, yes. and you can make that profound that's just incredible like you're well, able to touch making, on those nuances you know yeah and so i would say it's not making it profound it's then with any it would if we can be you or i or anyone can be present enough open our heart and be present enough the miracle of whatever's before us shows itself. So it's not about, oh, let me see what's, is this worth writing about? Or what can, how can I position this or manipulate it to be significant? It's about me being open enough. And this is where all the spiritual practices and meditation and, and being present then reveals the miracle that's hiding in the open. And then I go, oh my God. It was all right there. And I just, and so the books really are, and the poems are taking notes. And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, I, I'm committed that I only write from a heart space. Yeah. Not, and that not really comes space. through. Nowadays, when you take writing classes, a lot of them talk about um, kind of making your writing more simplistic, sort of like, I hate to say it, but kind of dumbing down your writing so that it's mm -hmm. more accessible to people. And uh, to read books like yours is so refreshing because you're not afraid to take those risks and use, you know, use that kind of language, you know, the metaphors that you use and everything. I mean, uh, you have to take time to really think about the ideas that you present. And for me, that was just so refreshing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think that it's so important um, to... You know, up here when we're mental, that that's one thing, and we can relate through our these amazing things we have the minds. But but when we speak from the heart, that immediately, you know, a metaphor and story, and just being authentic, mm -hmm. we immediately have a heart connection. Yes. Yes. And Mark, I just want to, I want to start talking about some of the themes that you covered in this book. And you've, you've covered a lot, but one, one recurring theme that I noticed is um, about the role that fear plays um, when it comes to preventing our soul's full expression. And you mentioned a couple of them throughout the chapters. Could you please describe some of them to us and how they impact us? Sure. So, so, and you know, fear is natural when it's right-sized. 
you know, fear is what allows us to know that there's real danger. But what we often do as human beings, and this I think is the biggest thing, and, and I know these things because I, I do them all the time, you know, just because I, I, you know, I know a lot or I've experienced a lot doesn't mean no one's exempt, you know, it, it's how do we practice practice when oh oh there there it is again oh right i recognize this so so one of the things about fear is you know if i burn my hand on a stove well oh okay you know i need to recognize if i get within an inch of that that's legitimate danger but what then i tend to do as a human being is we inflate our experience and our fear we make it bigger i go well you know what to be to be safe i'm going to make sure i stay a foot away from the stove and okay that's fine that's being cautious but then something happens now i i i tell myself that that's the real distance the real distance was an inch i added the other 11 inches to be safe cautious but now I've so we all have a, a legitimate ring of safety, but we add a ring of fear, and the the what keeps us from life, and from uh, being all of who we are is when we tell ourselves that's the real distance. So now now I'm I add it even further. Now I make it further away. And so let's replace the stove with love. Hmm. I burn my hand or my heart on love so I could learn how to better be skilled at love or I can say, you know what, stay away from that. Yeah, that's no good, boy. Don't go there. And then I make it even bigger. Now it's three feet. Hmm. And then what happens is now I, I can't reach you. I've made this added distance. And now I start saying, boy. Not only can, is, is there fear to be uh, uh, negotiated, but now I'm alone. I'm isolated. Oh, life is so lonely. Yeah. You see what we're doing to ourselves. And, and this is where the risk, the exquisite risk, to go all the way back to that early book, is, <laughs> is you know, one, one of the great, uh, great things about the Buddhist tradition is their notion of seeing things as they are, which yeah. is at once... Yeah the hardest and simplest practice but it's so important for all of us because when i can see things as they are and go oh no you know what i added all that distance if i need to be in touch in life i have to see things as they are oh it was only an inch oh well now i have real choices again and now i have to so so what happens in life for all of us, and this is kind of like spiritual physics, I think. Um, in the out, we all have to survive and thrive. So, in order to survive in the outer world, we do have to manage risk. You know, like if we yeah. were having this conversation on the street, we'd have to look, make sure we don't get hit by a truck. That's managing risk. But inside, the way that we come alive is we have to enhance risk. I have to take a risk to go out and be touched by another, to be touched by life, to feel the miracle that is everywhere. So each of us has to negotiate between 
managing risk and enhancing risk. Because managing risk helps us survive, but if we don't thrive, what's the point? I agree, and uh, and it really limits us, right? There, there are only so many things that we'd be willing to do because, as you said, fear essentially uh, is like a shackle, right? It prevents you from doing so many things, like in a relationship. If you have fear of intimacy, getting close to someone, it can prevent you from having that that really deep, meaningful connection with another human being. Um, and uh, and I also want to touch on something that a fear that everyone's having right now with 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 covid you know it's about uh I, I think that is also having an impact on on people and and kind of trying to figure out how they can manage that risk of um well, stepping out this, into I, the world you know I, th I think that you know especially with the pandemic there's there there is a challenge of course yeah. inherent in this time and there's a great great opportunity so we're being challenged to face ourselves, mm -hmm. yeah. to face life, to see things as they are. There's no running, you know, and yet fear is the other virus. Mm -hmm. Fear is the exactly. other virus that's everywhere. And so, you know, I think one of the things that's happened in this unusual time, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath <clears throat> literally means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. And I think what the pandemic has done is forced us into a global Sabbath. We can't run from here to there. We can't make 30,000 plans. We can't even dream too big. We have to see the miracle and <clears throat> we have to stop and not turn one thing into another and go, oh, it's all right here. It's all right here. How do we <clears throat> regain that? And even though we're physically distanced at times, <clears throat> how how do we feel our kin our kinship with all other life? Because it's all you know that old thing about the choice between love and fear. If we let fear <clears throat> govern us, well, then it's go it's everywhere. I mean, I know just from my own life that I've learned that. Fear is to be moved through, not obeyed. To be moved, to be moved through and not obeyed. If, I, if I'm afraid and I ask my fear, <clears throat> what should I do? It'll say, be more afraid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like a snowball, right? It just yes. keeps getting worse. So no, I, I ask my heart. I ask my spirit. I ask my friends. I'm afraid. Help me. I can't shake this fear. Well, be with people you love. <clears throat> you know, right size our fear. There's an old, <clears throat> there's an old, let me share this parable. It's an old anonymous teaching story, Hindu teaching story about fear and pain. And <clears throat> I love these old anonymous stories. So there's a master and apprentice, always. And the master finds the apprentice very annoying because all he does is complain, complain, complain. So the master says to the apprentice, <clears throat> get a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water, <clears throat> and bring it to me. So he does. <clears throat> the master says, oh, well, drink from the glass. And he drinks. He spits it out. The master says, what's the matter? He says, oh, it's bitter. 
Master says, get the same amount of salt. Put it in your hands and follow me quietly. So the apprentice cups the handful of salt, follows the master who leads him to a lake. He says, put the salt in the lake. He does. He says, drink. He kneels down. He scoops the water. He dribbles down his chin. And the master goes, well. He says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice. He says, stop being a glass. Become a lake. Oh, <laughs> stop, stop <laughs> that's a great a story. Become a lake. So this, I love this yeah, anonymous, ancient, you know, before schools, before degrees, right? They said, this is that's how, how people learn. Yeah, that's how people learn. Mm -hmm. And so, so what is that? I mean, the reason that it touches me is uh, what I hear in that story is that no one, everyone gets their salt. No one is exempt. That is our pain, our fear. But when you put it in a small container, not only does it get bigger and sharper, but we can get bitter. Yeah. So, you, you know, we may hear the story and go, oh, well, it's not good to be a glass. I won't do that. Yes, we will, because that's how pain and fear say hello. They make us go like exactly. this, tighten. But what we can do is right size our fear, our pain. And how do we do that? By enlarging our sense of things. Stop being a glass, become a lake. So the question is for each of us and those listening, what's in your toolbox? What is it that you can turn to when you're afraid or in pain that enlarges your sense of things? Is it reading? Is it writing? Is it meditating? Is it going for a walk in nature? Is it listening to music? Is it playing music? Is it gardening? Is it being with family? What, what is it that you have that you can turn to to enlarge your sense of things? I love that. Love that. Um, and I want to talk about something you wrote in chapter 14, which is one of my favorite chapters. Um, you talk about the two types of fires that we encounter uh, daily. The first is the fire of aliveness, and the second is the fire of circumstances. So, yeah. Mark, how do we distinguish between these two? Well, this is it. So, so first, let's... Um, so, the fire of aliveness is how, how do we feed the fire of our soul? That fire has to keep being fed constantly. How do we keep that light inside alive? But in the world, there is actual fire. There's fire of circumstance. There's difficult situations that are hurtful. And that fire needs to be doused. So, yes, how do this is one of the kind of uh, practices each person has to personalize. How do we know the difference? Well, and I think I think one of the things that I return to all the and, and first off, let me say, you know, like I said, what I share are examples, not instructions. So I struggle with this myself, you know. So I think that one of the things is I always ask myself with whatever's before me, is this heartening or disheartening? If it's heartening, 
even if it's a difficult say we're in a friendship and we have a diff have to have a difficult conversation to move forward well if it's heartening then i'm in because that's feeding the fire of aliveness if and that's like a sensation you feel it's a feeling of truth so so let, the let, let me share this and we'll come back to that so if it's disheartening then what am I doing there? Then that's hurtful. Then that's life draining. So if it's life giving, it's feeding the fire of aliveness. If it's life draining, it's feeding a fire that will hurt us. So how do we know that what you're asking is, how do we know what is true experience? Well, I think that this is an ex that each person has to build on on their first hand experience and i actually so so in other words you know if i have if i'm by a lake and i put my hand in the water i don't need proof that it's wet i know it's wet my hands in the water i know it's wet so there's a certain uh irreducible part of experience that we know in our heart what is true if I feel love, I know that's love. And I don't have to unravel it or question it. And so when I have those experiences, I say, okay, this, this is true. And then when I have another one, I can build, oh, that's true. So I start to build my own sense of what's true. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that in our world today you know, all over the world, especially in America, uh, we are in this very strident time where we have people who are, uh, you know, whole groups of people who are not grounded in reality. That's what I was going to ask. They're pretty disconnected from themselves. So it's like, what? how would they know, right? Well, I think this is where I think one of the the important things of education. I've been thinking about this recently. I think one of the important things of education in all forms is that we have to restore people's direct connection and experience of life. Because I think right now with all of the, the virtual realities and the social media and everything, and if you don't have an actual connection, people are spinning and people are mistaking intensity for meaning. It's just intense. Exactly. And even... Even me, I mean, I consider myself pretty conscious, Mark, and I have to make a concerted effort to stop, like, working on my laptop and checking my social media, like, step out in nature, meet people face to face. Um, because it, it does require concerted effort, because the way our, the modern life is designed, you are going to be living this virtual reality, you know? Well, and I think that, we, you know, we have to restore, even through the virtual reality, what we feel and experience in our body, in our spirit, in our heart, in our mind is, is direct. And, and, and when we do experience something meaningful, we need to, you know, so like we, we, we all know we stand on the earth, we breathe air from the sky. That's a fact. That's not debatable. We can talk about what that means to each of us. And we might view it differently, but those are so we've we've reached a point right now, in almost like a perfect storm in the sense that, that psychic storm in that there's like I said there's so many people that 
are not trusting their direct experience. And, you know, this is the, um, if you go all the way back to Shakespeare and Hamlet, this is what Hamlet's story is really about. We, 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 you know, it's so common. It's such a great story that we take it for granted. But this is what it's really about. It's a cautionary tale about trusting what you know in your heart and not unraveling it with your mind. You know, just imagine the story today. I mean, Hamlet is this talented, gifted, sensitive young man. He comes home one day to discover that his mother slept with his uncle and they killed his father. Oh, my God. I mean, you really, you know, lifetime of therapy right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the story, what the story is really about is he know this is heartbreaking. It's devastating. It is, yes. And he knows in his heart that this is true and what he needs to do. He needs to act in some way. But every time he gets to a point of acting, he starts second-guessing himself. He's, um, how do I know this is true? Well, maybe this wasn't. And he unravels. He, you know, diffuses all of his heart energy and what he knows to be true until he finally, you know, that's the famous point. In the story, he said he even questions if he's a lot like to be or not to be. That's like people today saying, "Well, is this real or is what I'm in the virtual, you know, reality real? Which is real?" And so, you know, we I think human beings have done this for a long time. It's it's every generation is different, but we have the challenge of how. It's our turn. You know, the pandemic is difficult. And, you know, in my parents' generation, it was World War II. Every generation yes. has a challenge. Are we going to show up and be fully here and choose love over fear and be more together than alone or not? And it's our turn. It is our turn. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. And one of the experiences that caught my, that really caught my attention was the one where uh, you met Steven Tyler from Aerosmith and you talked about attending an Aerosmith concert and how the music and being in that space made you and made the people who were in that concert aware of their own gifts, how it has that kind of impact. So can you please speak more about this insight, please? Yeah, so I think that, and, and you know, and I was so blessed that Stephen um, was also kindly, he is a big fan of the Book of Awakening, and, yeah. and he, had, yeah. he had reached out to me, and we connected, and so he kindly uh, had my wife Susan and I be a guest at one of his concerts, which was an amazing experience. Yeah, I've and, been to one of his, I've been to their concerts, so that's why it really was like, whoa, yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I, so, I get what he's saying. <laughs> so he had this whole way he wanted us to experience the first part yeah. of it we were in like the fr uh, front rows and then he wanted us to come up and be on st on the side of the stage so that was the place where i was standing we my wife and i were standing mm -hmm. and you know when would i ever get that viewpoint and i looked out at all these people and i realized you know for this brief moment you know people unless you, you know the people you came with you know about them but there's all these people this short-term community yeah, people could be different religions be different democrat republican this or that nobody knows 
people were just there. And I realized as gifted as Stephen is, more than anything, it was him being holding nothing back and being thoroughly himself that kind of brought that possibility alive for everyone there. And I think that we think we go to hear the music. We think we go to hear a poet speak or to hear, you know, a, a famous or to, or to watch a painter work yes. or something. And we are, but it made me feel that at a deeper level, we're going to be inspired to be who we are by watching someone, by watching him be fully himself. It, it made me and I think everyone there say, oh, I can be myself too. And that, to go back, is feeding the fire of aliveness. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that is going back to feeding the fire of aliveness that we hmm. we love to see people be who they are because it reminds us that, oh, I can be completely who I am, whether whether I'm gifted or not. You know, there's you know, Aldous Huxley, who was a philosopher, um, and he wrote he wrote a novel uh, called Antic Hay. Antic Hay. And what it's about is in like the early 1920s in London, there's a group of these writers and painters and artists who meet in a ca like a cafe all the time, like a salon. Mm -hmm. They do their work and they come and talk. Well, the painter, who's the main character, he is um, he's not a very good painter. But he, his vision is, and his connection to, directly to life is exceptional. He's, he's more alive than anybody. He's so, but he, he just is not skilled with paint. So the other people are very clever and bright and, you know, very gifted in what they do. And they actually, without his realizing it, they get together and they make fun of him without him even knowing it. But the point that Aldous Huxley is making with the novel is who's the real artist? Who's the real, the real artist is this painter because he is so alive and so close to life. It doesn't matter whether he can mix red and blue. That's not what makes him an artist. It's the passion, right? It's how alive, alive. the engagement, his engagement with that, that, Creativity is is the way to br it brings us alive for being engaged in something. So in that way, everyone, if your heart is alive as a poet, the words are you don't even have to write it down. The words just you know I happen to write it down. <laughs> right, and why is that important when it comes to awakening the soul? Well, because. Because that is, so this is how I think that our, our real purpose is our soul's awakening. Where that happens is our occupation. That can change. But I think that, you know, if you look at, and this is both individually and collectively. So if you look at the, the uh, that every soul is like a cell in the global body, you know, in my body, I'm, I'm healthy as long as I have one more healthy cell than toxic. I'd like a lot more. As long as I'm leaning in that direction, I'm, I'm healthy. Well, every soul is a cell in the global body. And when we can be who we are and be awake and be connected to life and recognize our kinship with other life, 
we come alive. Now, we, by coming alive, we are living our life. The one life we're given, which is another one of my books, The One Life We're Given. Not only is that important individually, but then we are helping keep humanity, the, the global body, healthy. So there's more healthy souls than, than toxic. Yeah, and I, I love that about this book and your other books because there's this deep um, embedded message of altruism and, and you know, being a source of light in the world. And you, in this book, you talked about the importance of meaning, truth, and kindness, uh, seeing them as our teachers. Um, and uh, Mark, I'd like to know, how do these qualities um, help us navigate life? And how can we increase our ability to rely on these qualities to help ourselves and others? Yeah, so so these things are not abstract. Now, the only yeah. reason things are abstract is if we don't personalize them. Yes. They're more, you know, like we have the elements, air, fire, earth, and water. Well, you know, meaning, truth, and kindness are like spiritual elements. So meaning really comes to us through relation. We, we all have these, these relationship and presence and care. We all have access to those things. Through relationship, we discover meaning. Through presence, we discover truth. And through kindness, we discover care. So these are all of these available to us. When I'm present, you know, we said before, how do I know if what if my experience is real? It's through presence, through being completely present, holding nothing back. If I, you know, when I'm struggling or I'm confused or uh, tangled in my mind, I stop whatever I'm doing and I give my full presence to whatever's before me until it becomes my teacher. And I renew my direct connection with life. Now, life paradoxically is so much more than just my experience. And this is where meaning comes in. This is where meaning comes in because the only way I can experience what it's like for you to be alive is to be present and meaning is relational. So here, here's a, a quick little story about, about meaning. A, wid a widower seeks, he just can't get through his grief, and he, he goes and seeks out advice from an old woman who's a sage. And they sit by a stream, and he's just, you know, in despair. And she gives him a branch and tells him to put it in the water. And he says, she says to him, you're not touching the water, but you can feel the water through the branch, can't you? And he says, yes. He says, now think of your wife long gone. You can't touch her, but you can feel her. Meaning is the branch in the water. Meaning, oh. is, how, meaning is how I can't be you. But I can feel you. Feel you. If I'm present enough, if I open my heart enough. So we can practice these things. You know, you know, Mother Teresa said love is doing uh, courage is doing small things with love. We can practice these things by being completely present to whatever is needed right before us, you know. Um kindness 
um, and kinship share the same root. Here's another here's another wonderful uh, ancient anonymous story. It happens also to be Hindu. There are many others, but this one also happens to be. And this is about a man who's a, he's a, a holy man who who doesn't know he's holy. And he's just a very simple man, and you know, in in India, in the uh, along the Ganges River at Varanasi, there's those steps that go down, and, yep. and he's there with all the hundreds of people pray, in the water praying, and all of a sudden he sees a spider struggling next to him, so he stops, he leans down, he lifts the spider, and he he goes to put it on the steps on the shore, but the spider is a poisonous spider. And it stings him, but because he's a holy man who doesn't know he's holy, he's stung but not poisoned. And he really put, he puts it on the thing. So the next day he's back in, in the river and he's up to his thighs and he's praying. There's the same spider. How does that happen? He leans over, he picks up the spider. Again, it stings him. Again, he puts it on the steps. The third day, he's the same, of all the things, there's the same spider. He lifts the spider. And the spider looks at him and says, don't you understand? I am a spider. I will sting you every time because that is what I do. And the holy man who doesn't know he's holy says, and don't you understand? I will save you every time because that is what I do. It's another ancient story. And the power of this is, of course, it's just who he is. That's just his identity, right? Yeah. It's just who he is. And... One of the lessons of it is that the strength of our kindness dilutes the sting of the world. Oh, yes. The strength of our kindness dilutes the sting of the world. So in another, another culture, in another time, Mencius, who was a, an amazing philosopher, Chinese philosopher, about 300 BC, and he was trying to explain what this is, this, this thing is in us, that, that's this kindness. And he couldn't put it into words, but he said, he used this image. He says, if you were to come upon a child about to fall into a well, the urge in you to drop everything and save that child, that's our human kindness. And he said, with another metaphor, he said, he believed that people are innately kind the way that water will always flow downhill and join other water. Human beings allowed their true nature will always flow to each other and join. We can manipulate water to go sideways, even upside down, but allowed its true nature, water will just always flow and join other water. And we can manipulate each other or ourselves through, like we said earlier about how we let fear get too big. We can manipulate ourselves away from our kindness. Well, I don't know if it's safe to be kind. I don't know. Because yeah, there are people who take advantage of that. So, you know, it's easy to well, they, get cynical and to be cautious about, about expressing well, I, kindness. I have come to feel like I would rather be fooled than not believe because the cost of not believing is greater than being hurt by being fooled yeah we need more people like you mark <laughs> well, we we're, all, we're all we're all we're all in this together and we all have the same 
choice points all over and over again. Every day, you know, I can have something happen after we get off of our, our conversation that will uh, frighten me or, or I'll get hurt and then I'll become a glass and I have to remember not to make, make that distance bigger. But to, you know, I think one of the most quiet courages for all of us is when life pushes us away, we have to lean back in. When I close, I have to open. When I'm afraid, I have to still take a risk. And if I can't do it by myself, then I got to call you up and have you help me be strong enough to do it. Yeah, so it's about having that courage to go to go back in and and to believe to believe people are good at their core. So, so, so you know, a question for for people who are listening to personalize meaning, truth, and kindness is. Mm -hmm. In a very specific way, can can you can you describe one way that you're being asked to experience meaning? One way you're being asked to experience truth. One way you're being asked to be kind. In small ways. In small ways. Is it if you see someone drop their groceries in the parking lot? Is it going over and helping pick them up? Because we never know. I, I believe that um, the universe and life keeps creating itself. And we never know what one gesture of kindness keeps the world going. It may be helping that person pick up their groceries. It may be listening to a stranger for five minutes and we don't know if it's that one or the next one so why not why not you know lift the spider and put it on the shore yeah there's that saying kill them with kindness i don't know the complete saying but the, uh, i'm sure you've heard of it right yeah 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 well and I, it's and actually that's such a weird you know, use of the word kill. It's, I know, uh, right? <laughs> bring, a, bring alive with kindness. Bring alive with kindness, yeah. Bring alive with kindness, you know. I mean, we have, it so permeates our culture, right? If we're moved, we say, I'm blown away. Yes. Well, that's, you know, that's crazy. That's crazy. All right, Mark, uh, On you know, we ended on such a beautiful note and I just want to thank you so much for all the beautiful, the wonderful insights that you've offered here uh, today. And uh, there's just so much to unpack in this book, um, so much to ponder on. And I'm just glad that we, we were able to um, cover some of it during our short time together. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a joy to, to, to be together. I wish you all the best. Thank you. And I just want to let everyone listening know that Mark's new book is available at all major bookstores and his website, marknepo.com. And Mark, I believe that you have a webinar coming up soon, yeah. right? Yes, yes. Thank you. So, you know, I've been offering webinars, of course, during I have started to go out again um, in person, which has been wonderful, but I'm continuing to give webinars. And so the next one is... Uh, on three successive 
weeks, one a week, three sessions, January 29th, February 6th, and February 13th. And this is on the gift of relationship, the gift of relationship. And um, you can find out, people can find out details and register at live.marknepo.com. Okay. Got it. Just on time for a Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay, great. Mark, it's been an honor, a pleasure, and thank you again. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. All right, you too. You too. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.